0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Michael Van of Sacramento State University. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Matthew Yegel about Khmer Nationalist Son Yat Tan, the CIA, and the Transformation of Cambodia, out with Cornell University Press, 2023. Khmer Nationalist is a political history of Cambodia from World War II until 1975 examining the central role of Sun Yok Tan. The, the book is the story of nationalist independence movements, political intrigue, coup attempts, war, and American intelligence operations. Matthew Yeagle shows how central, uh, how central Sun Yok was to the rise of Cambodian nationalism, the brief period of Japanese dominance, the fight for independence from France, and the establishment of ties with the United States. Factoring in Sun Yat-Tan into a discussion of Cambodian political history is a major contribution that will advance scholarly discourse about Camp- Cold War politics in Southeast Asia. Sun Yankton's career requires us to think about pre Khmer Rouge Cambodia with much greater nuance. Dr. Matthew, Ye- Matthew Yeagle. Hey, Matt, I'm sorry. Is it Yeagle or, or am I mispronouncing Yeagle. your name? Yeagle. Okay, you it Yeagle. Yeah, you okay, it is Yeagle. Yeah, it is Yeagle. Sorry, people, we'll leave that in there. Uh, Dr. Matthew Yegel earned his M.A. at Northern Illinois University with a thesis entitled uh, Phil Kack, um, The History of the Filipino Involvement in the Vietnam War, and his Ph.D. with a dissertation on Sun Nyak Tong, obviously the source material for this book. In 2011-2012, he had a Fulbright and a Center for uh, Khmer Studies uh, Fellowship for Research in Cambodia. Khmer Nationalist, Sun yat Tong, the CIA, and the Transformation of Cambodia, uh, out with Cornell, is his first book. Uh, He has taught at Northern Illinois University and worked for NIU's Center for Southeast Asian Studies. He currently teaches at St. Xavier University in Chicago. When he's not doing all this amazing work, he's causing trouble with Dr. Eric Jones, his co-host and unindicted co-conspirator on Napalm in the Morning, the Vietnam War through film a podcast that asks serious questions such as why is John Wayne facing the wrong way at sunset in the Green Berets and also praises the artistic triumph that is Operation Dumbo Drop. Uh, Dr. Matthew Yeagle, Matt, if I may, welcome to New Books in History.
0: Good morning, campers. Uh, Thanks for having me, Mike. I very much appreciate it. It's great to talk to you and looking forward to chatting a bit about, you know, that labor of love slash hate for the past 12 or so years of my life.
1: Um, well, before we get into the book, uh, one more time on the full title, Khmer Nationalist, Sun Ton the CIA, and the Transformation of Cambodia. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you come to this research project? What was your intellectual trajectory?
0: Yeah, so I, it probably dates back to being raised by hippies or wannabe hippies. Um you know, th- that sort of sentiment or, you know, the music, the movies just, you know, of Vietnam being raised by, you know, parents that, you know, were in college in the early to mid seventies. Um, That was just kind of a thing and it just kind of was normal. Um, so it was just kind of always around. My dad was a, a history major. Um you know, just he just got the bachelor's in that. But his was he was always really interested in history. And I think I just kind of always had that sort of interest as well. Um, when it came time to uh, go to go to go to college, uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do exactly. Uh, so my my undergraduate degree is actually in marketing. Uh, my minor was in history because I'm like, well, I want to do something for the minor that I like. So I'll do history. And I just did the marketing because I figured I'd be able to get a job or whatever. Because I just wasn't sure. But it turned out I didn't actually want to get a job doing anything like that. And so um, NIU, Northern Illinois University, as a Center for Southeast Asian Studies, really great resources um, on all things interdisciplinary, Southeast Asia related. Um, I just started almost on a whim going there uh, and then develop that into the MA. And then, then I just kept going and uh, looking at Cambodia specifically um, Northern Illinois university has the language. It has experts in Khmer history. It has experts in, you know, anthropology, political science, the whole gamut. Um, And I knew I wanted to do something kind of Vietnam war era, but not Vietnam. Uh, so I wanted to, yeah, I think, I think having that backbone at NIU, uh, with the really strong, strong resources in Cambodian history, uh, and Ken Clymer, my advisor for my dissertation, uh, working with me, it just seemed like there, there's a kind of some unexplored avenues maybe we could get into. And so I think that's kind of how I got started in it. And, uh, and then, you know, it just went on and on and on. (laughs) so yeah,
1: and you were drawn more to political history. Um, this is this is really in the, the realm of uh, like traditional political history, right?
0: right? Well, I, I think just kind of reading you know like looking at like a David Chandler or Ken Clymer, my you know advisor um, you know some of their stuff, this name would kind of crop up Yuk-tan and it would kind of be a little bit mysterious. There's some stuff, some connections with the CIA. It's it's not exactly clear the full extent. There's a lot of sort of mystery behind that name, and um, you know he's kind of mentioned or touched on a bit. You know, and Chandler's really good um, tragedy of, of Cambodian history or, or Ken Climber stuff or or whatever. But um, there's no deep. There's never been a deep dive on him. Um, and so so what- so what
1: what's what's your elevator pitch for uh, Sanyok Don? I mean, how do you how do you describe quickly describe his life? And we're gonna we're gonna spend another fifty minutes talking about his life. Yeah. here. But, but what's your what's your quick pitch? For, like, who, who was this guy, and what does he represent?
0: Yeah, sure. He he represents a few different things. I think one of them is um, during during the French era, still is is kind of one of the leading voices for for kind of nationalist independence uh, in Cambodia. Uh, as time moves on, he is he kind of morphs into a role of sort of dissident agitator of Nordam Sinuk. Uh he and through through that prism, he gets connected with the South Vietnamese government, Thai government and the United States, whether it's U.S. Special Forces, U.S. intelligence. Um, and he's involved in a couple coup attempts, some one successful, one unsuccessful. Um, and and yeah, he's prime minister twice of of Cambodia. Um, and you know, I I just thought a kind of an underexplored, uh, figure and sort of this kind of modern, the transitionary period from colonial state to kind of trying to navigate this, this sort of global cold war, um, and you know, a neutralist in theory country surrounded by enemies, basically is little Cambodia. So, um, and he's a big figure in that.
1: And I think you make the point in, um, much of the literature on the politics of Southeast Asia and the Cold War, there's this bit of a great man in history narrative, right? So, um, you know, uh, Ho Chi Minh dominates Vietnam, Marcos dominates the Philippines, Sukarno, and then Suharto sort of dominate uh, Indonesian history, obviously, and and Cambodian history really is is the way it's been written is dominated by Sihanouk, and then in many ways this mystery of Pol Pot because it's, you know... Yeah,
0: and the bridge, Lan Knoll, the bridge character, I guess, right, between the two. But, um, uh, yeah, and and focusing on Sun Tan, he is, you know, the book is, it's the title of the book. Um, he, is, he is kind of a vehicle, though, for looking at a few different, I think, underexplored topics in modern Cambodian history. So it's not a traditional biography. It is, it's not, you know going through you know his personal life in great depth or anything like that it's kind of using him the figure the political figure as a way to examine in some in some deeper depth these other kind of i w- i would argue under explored uh, avenues
1: yeah and i and i think you also note that um there isn't a a deep uh ar- archive regarding him like there there just isn't that much material right
0: it's not a, it's not a ton and it's hard to, hard to find some stuff. David Chandler did do a lot of really good heavy lifting, um, uh, in so, so many ways in Cambodian history, you know? Um, so he had some papers that he shared with me, um, that, uh, that he acquired over, you know, years and years and years and years. Um, if you, you know, are exploring the national archives in Cambodia, you'll find, you know, little, little breadcrumbs here and there. Same with the archives in the United States, same with, you know, going to presidential libraries or, or wherever. Um, so it's a lot of kind of, it's sort of like one of those, you know, 5,000 piece puzzles where the pieces are really, really tiny and you're also missing like maybe a third of the pieces. Uh, and so it's trying to do that puzzle is basically the process of writing this book. Um, so it's, it was a little tough and challenging, but um, I, I think it came out pretty well. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the, the title of the book is Khmer, Khmer Nationalist. But um, that name gives me a little bit of a clue that um, he may have a bit of a multicultural family heritage, right?
0: So he is uh, born in South Vietnam. Uh, he's born in Trevon province. He is uh, Camp Krom so he is... Yeah. Yeah. He is kind of bridging those two worlds and he does that. That is a, a big feature of, of the book. Um, his, his connections, he's,
1: he's got Chinese and Vietnamese heritage. Correct. As well yeah. As, yeah.
0: And, and so he, yeah. And that is an ever present part. And I think he, in sort of his grandiose, you know, you know, if we're being realistic, never going to happen sort of visions, um, he wants to reconnect you know the kind of southern portion of of modern day vietnam to the old angkorian empire of cambodia um and he yeah so he is kind of bridging those things so it's border border issues with south vietnam he is in some ways the sort of perfect person to kind of navigate these things between whether it's the united states government united Sa- or us intelligence us special forces once we get into the 60s um, the south vietnamese government the thai government it's very you know he is kind of crossing ever always kind of crossing borders in this kind of ever present agitating sort of thing the his the bet noir if you will for uh, nordam Sinuk. and his identity as as being khmert is a big part of, I think, who he is and how he acts will, and we'll kind of see that throughout his life.
1: Yeah. And I think that factoring in the, um, the kampuchea Krom story, like, uh, is something, one of the for several things your book does in adding complexity and nuance to this political history. Um, you know, that, that that becomes such an important factor um, once the Khmer Rouge take power and like they're hunting down of of uh Kompatiya Krum what they're suspicious of and then the border raids and so forth.
0: Yeah, <laughs> correct. Correct. And it's yeah, it's in Sonia Tan's rhetoric. It's in some of Lon Nol's rhetoric. It is in Pol Pot's rhetoric. It is, you know, kind of throughout this kind of post French era, uh, the rhetoric of the kind of greater empire or Angkorian empire, uh, and sort of reconstituting that in some way is, is a, you know, maybe misguided goal, but, uh, it is, it is there, uh, through, throughout that, these decades that we're going to be discussing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it it also, I, I think that that resonates with, um, some of the complexity that, um, Ben Kiernan tried to bring to Vietnamese history with his recent big thick textbook, uh, treatment of, uh, Vietnam where one of the things he stresses when um, talking about the South of Vietnam is the centuries long significance of the Cambodian presence and that the ethnicity is much, much more fluid than older nationalist narratives would lead us to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. It's really interesting. And uh, it is, it's for that reason that a lot of these Kapuchi Krom, Khmer Krom are sort of selected, by you know CIDG, civilian irregular defense groups in, in Vietnam for, for work in the war, in the in the Vietnam War, um, they are a huge you know you maybe think Montagnards or something like that is a, a big aspect of the CIDG, but in Four Corps, the you know southernmost of the four partitions, if you will, of of, of designation for the for the U.S. Um, for the military in in, in Vietnam. That 70% are Khmer Krum, ethnically Khmer. Yeah. In, in four core. Yeah. In the, in the so, in the southernmost district area. Okay. That, area. That, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That would make sense. I mean, that's, that's their home turf. I mean, that, that, those are the people of this area interesting um so this this book is a a political biography organized in chronological form so let's go through um the chapters uh in the book uh one by one um you give an introduction with a historical perspective and then chapter one is uh the first independence 1908 1946 and this covers uh so now, uh, Tan's early life. I mean, he, he's born in 1908, right? Yeah, his early life and then his early career as a nationalist. And I mean, fairly young, he's a prominent player in the um, the nationalist movement uh, under French colonial rule, right?
0: Right. Yeah. He, yeah. So yeah, he's born in, in Travin Vinh in, in South Vietnam uh, or Southern Vietnam, I guess. Uh, he is, um, it seems well, at that, at that like- time, At
1: that time, it was uh, Cochinchin.
0: Co- or Yeah. Coach in China. Right. Yeah. I guess got to, our ter- terminology is going to change a few times <laughs> throughout these few decades. Um, yeah, he he it does go to school in, in France, in Paris. Uh, so we don't have a lot of great records on like, you know, the exact situation of his family. It's his father's a landowner of some sort. And so it seems what, like what, they must be at what, least.
1: What years was he educated in France?
0: So 30... He comes back in 1933, so he would have been about 25 when he returns.
1: That's so. that's early, huh? So that that's not that that generate the the infamous generation that go in in like 52, 53 that. Um, uh, no, he's and, living in and, the
0: jungle in those years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But, but, so this is this is early on, um, uh, sort of high colonial uh, education.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of the inner war years and in France and it's kind of this, you know, like it, the intellectual stimulation must have been, you can assume, you know, really, really strong. And he comes back, you know, he is not a um, card carrying communist or anything like that. He comes back and gets involved pretty quickly with uh, the Buddhist Institute, which is um, a boy. it is kind of a modernization of of Buddhism, but focusing on Khmer. At the same time, so it's a nationalistic Buddhist institute, and it's which, through the- which
1: Penny Edwards wrote about. But it, ironically, it's created by the French, and they've got a they've got a strong project, right? Trying to tell the Cambodians their Khmer and not Thai, and therefore create that boundary, right?
0: Right, right. Yeah, and her her book is really, really good, and is a yeah. was a great, helpful source in the early, you know, and kind of investigating some of these early Buddhist connections. Uh, so, yeah, I really recommend her source. Um, it is called Cambodge, uh, 1860 to 1845. Yeah, I
1: Yeah, uh, Cambodge, and- Kem- the cultivation of a nation.
0: That's right. Okay. And in playing the
1: terminology um, game, she's really adamant, like, call it Cambodge in this time period because it's this French construct, right? Correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, so it's through that, through the Buddhist Institute when he, I think has kind of his nationalist sort of instincts are maybe nurtured, developed. Uh, he, he, through that is recruiting and potentially nationals minded monks, uh, to make a little bit of a longer story, a little shorter. it It is kind of leading up to a, uh, once, once the war begins and, and Japan has taken power, but France is running day-to-day operations. Um, he he sort of sees potentially a, maybe this is a chance to throw off, uh, throw out the French. And he is, in a lot of his rhetoric, if you look at his, some of his writings, some of his letters from this era, he is, if he's writing to a Japanese official, for instance, he is definitely playing up the Oh, we are all on board for the uh, Asia for Asians uh, stuff that you guys have been talking about. We we love that uh, here in Cambodia, and so it is not exactly clear if he's just really naive or if he and I. I would probably, uh, if I had to, if I had to lean one direction, I would lean in this way. He is using that rhetoric in those connections to kind of use Japan, the presence of Japan to get the French out. So he hopes the the plan, there is a plan for after the arrest of a, of a prominent Buddhist monk in 1942, there's a big demonstration, uh, that kind of becomes known as kind of the, uh, you know, the umbrella demonstration that where, you know, it's, Thousands are demonstrating in front of the kind of uh, French colonial residents there. And the plan is that Japanese uh, uh, military officials are gonna kind of come to their aid. Uh, that does not happen. Things get kind of too chaotic. Uh, France, French officials kind of you know intervene, kind of put down, arrest a bunch of the demonstrators and Sun with Japanese aid flees to Batambong and then to Bangkok. And he soon finds himself in in Japan. So he will spend about two and a half years in Japan during the war. Uh he assumes a Burmese identity. He uh he becomes a I believe it was a corporal in the Japanese military. He is so he is all um the, I, I think Japan's perspective is they're kind of stashing this pretty prominent figure, which he is in Cambodia at that time. He is known as kind of this nationalist anti-French figure. Uh, and so I think from Japan's perspective, when the time is right, maybe they could bring him back to Cambodia uh, and insert him into a position of power. And he will, you know, be plain nice, I guess, which is sort of what happens. He comes back in May of 19... 19- he's welcomed back he uh becomes minister of foreign affairs and then prime minister so he's prime minister in in 1945 of cambodia and that lasts for a few months till the war ends But,
1: but that's that's what you reference in the um in the title of this chapter this is the first independence so it's not an official independence i mean the France would still very much like its colony but after um uh, March 9th 45 the Japanese displace everybody and so there's this this sort of uh twilight moment. I don't know what what's what the right term for it is but like they've 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 declared their independence but it's not recognized
0: right and Japan quote unquote is recognizing it but it is not a recognized independence by Anyone else, really. Um, so, yeah, it's the first independence. It's very loose term. It's this kind of brief fleeting. And I think Sun Yuk Tan's mind, um, hey, this is the path forward. We are gonna, were going to we're going to forge our path ahead uh, in alliance with Japan and we'll work with them uh, in Asia. And, you know, that's the idea. And it doesn't obviously last France, French and British troops come back. He's arrested. He is taken to france put under uh, house arrest and I, I don't think it was um you know brutal brutal life or anything like that uh there but he is there for till 1951
1: so from 46
0: to 51 yeah he's so, in... yeah he's it's in the fall of 45 is when he's arrested so
1: okay because so that, that's your next chapter you need your next chapter uh, uh return return to exile so yeah so first he has this exile in japan and then comes back and has a moment of, of power and then is arrested now by the French, sent to France in, did you should say 45 or 46?
0: Yeah, the end of 45. He's, yeah, in the fall of 45, he's arrested. And, and then
1: how yeah. long is he there for?
0: Until 1951.
1: So then what, what, he comes back in 51? So, and...
0: so he comes back. He is, there's a hero's welcome for him with giant signs and banners and thousands of people are waiting at the airport. And this is our nationalist independence leader. And this is where he's are, he's already had problems with Nordam Sienok, who to back up very, very, very briefly is appointed maybe as this sort of pliable youngster by the French. Um, and uh, he, t- t- so Sienok is the, is King of France or France of Cambodia at this time. Um, when Sun Yok Tan comes back, he is still agitating for independence from France. France has obviously returned. They're in the midst in Vietnam of fighting a war, first Sino Chinese war. And it's called Return to Exile because he's only kind of in, you know, Phnom Penh for a couple months, right? He pretty soon starts his sort of agitative ways again. He begins another newspaper. Uh, well, he, I didn't mention his first one, yeah. Um which is in the, the 1930s
1: in, this in is, the 30s this is, yeah and the is right. the nationalist newspaper right right
0: it's a nationalist newspaper uh founded by him and one other and and he began he starts another one um my crock and this one there's not what it just lasts a couple months and he is by doing things like that by being politically active he is breaking his the the the, what, I don't know, the, that's not his bond, conditions or, or of France, his, parole. But his conditions <laughs> of his parole. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, he flees to the jungle in the North Northwest Cambodia. And so he is back in exile. So he is agitating for independence from the outside. Okay. He has a large political following the Democrats, uh, political party in, Cambodia are very, very much aligned with Sun Yok Tan. They are the leading political party, you know, from the kind of late 40s into the early 50s, you know, the most powerful one. And Sihanouk, in an attempt to, and I argue, an attempt to neutralize um, neutralize a lot of Sun Yok Tan's political power and influence, starts to move away from what has been sort of slow, Transitionary steps towards maybe some political independence in Cambodia from France or whatever to a more hardline stance over the intervening couple of years, when you know kind of climaxes in 1953 uh, when they do gain independence. And Tan does credit Sihanouk for that, and he speaks for a very brief period of time, glowingly of of Sihanouk's you know path to toward independence but sonia tan is the i argue the kind of driver for Sihanouk moving in that more hardcore direction hmm. because Sihanouk is 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 not nearly as militant about complete independence from france as sonia tan and sonia tan's political followers are
1: mm-hmm. so cambodia gets independence in in 53 and there's initially this moment where uh, he's he's praising Sihanouk. And then uh, this chapter three, Lost in the Wilderness, takes us from 1955 to 1959. And I'm going to guess by the title, Lost in the Wilderness, we have the not return to exile, but return to the Maquis, return to... More, yep.
0: It's more jungle life. Uh, correct, correct. Yeah, there. it seems like there's a brief period where maybe there might have been an opportunity to kind of come back and join the government in some form, but that that passes quite quickly. He is uh back in and so his his calling card, right? Anti-French colonialism is now not a thing. Right? Mm-hmm. They're gone. So now it morphs to anti full-on anti-Seanouk. And so he agitates against Sihanouk you know, through the rest of the decade. Um, the Khmer Isarak group, well, there there are multiple groups that can be referred to as the Isaraks, and they are they kind of span the ideological spectrum. Um, there's a Vietnamese communist, Sun Hyuk Min, who takes that nom de guerre, Sun Hyuk Min, as sort of, you know, borrowing from Sun Hyuk Tan and Ho Chi Minh uh, to kind of gain some sort of you know, maybe credibility or or pa- uh, cachet or something like that. Um A lot of, you know, in this era, many U.S. intelligence reports kind of like think that he's Sun tans brother or that they're related or somehow, but it's not Sun min is a nom de guerre, but he's, you know, a communist. He's an Isarak. There are there are Isarak communists, there are Isarak more conservative right wing, which would be Sun Yuk-Tan. Um, so it's not, a coal, it's not a like a coalescing band of dissidents, right? It's a little bit haphazard, but it seems like there might be a possibility for some action. Um, this is during the Eisenhower administration. Eisenhower, New Look foreign policy. Eisenhower, big fan of covert intelligence. You know, if you look at Guatemala, look at you know Iran or whatever um, happens in Cambodia too, Right. Almost happens, we should say. Dap Chuan is uh, kind of a governor of uh, in Siem Reap province. He is a military man. He is runs things in that province very, you know, with a very tight grip. And you know, after doing some digging, there are he along with Sanyok Tan and others attempt a coup, working with the CIA to overthrow Nordam Sihanouk in 1959. And this Sihanouk basically sniffs it out and puts it down before it can actually get going, going. But a CIA operator is caught on the ground, Victor Matsui. They have uh, radio transmitters from the CIA. They have they have uh, gold uh, doubloons. They have captured uh, materials from South Vietnam, from the South Ngo Ziem's government, because uh, they're working in close cohorts with Ziem because Ziem is no fan of uh, Sihanouk either, uh, and then working with the Thai government as well. So you on both sides of Cambodia, uh, South Vietnam and Thailand, you have more conservative governments that are not too thrilled with maybe Sihanouk's proclaimed neutralism, but also, you know, m- leaning leftist, we will say, Uh, the United States is no fan of that either. And so you have um, an attempt at an overthrow in 1959. Uh, And so that was a fun, uh, a fun one to uncover and discover uh, during the research process.
1: But, but Seenook's able to, to nip that in the bud. Yeah, he
0: sniffs it out and uh, Doc Truen is, um, he is uh, killed while attempting to escape. In air quotes Uh is the official line. Um, So,
1: is is the fighting in CM Reap, or is it actually they? Yes, they are they are
0: busted in CM Reap. Right, they don't get to the point where they are like they are attempting assassination or anything. They are caught, kind of building up to that. Um, But the CIA is definitely involved. Uh, This is uh, one of the things, fun things to find at the uh, Kennedy library uh was mm-hmm. uh, the transcripts of a conversation on it was november 20th 1963 uh between kennedy and roger hillsman discussing this and he said is it kennedy asked hillsman is that true that whole 59 coup thing and hillsman doesn't get into too many specifics because of plausible deniability and everything but he says yes it's true the 59 thing is true we did um we did support that. And Kennedy basically is just like, damn it. What the hell, man? Like, what the hell is Eisenhower doing? You know, um, And you can hear that conversation. Oh, this, is, in, this is
1: days before Dallas.
0: That is two days before he's killed. Wow. And that is one of the, you know, Kennedy's tapes are not nearly as extensive as, as, as uh, Nixon's, of course, but that is a taped conversation. So you can hear that actual tape of that conversation as well. Oh. And it covers a few other interesting yeah. uh,
1: the, aspects they're prob- too. They're probably not as colorful as the LBJ tapes. But, <laughs> but we, we don't have to get into that. Okay. Not so moving on. Pants. Yeah. <laughs> moving on. Um, so, chapter four, uh, The Breaking Point, 1960, 1964. So <laughs> now this guy's gone, uh, been part of a failed coup. And so, where is he for these next four years?
0: Yeah, so he is. This is when he is working. This is the Khmer Sarai group starts in 1959, um, Free Khmer. So they are groups of Khmer Krom that work with intelligence, U.S. intelligence, and their goal is overthrowing Sinuk still. So, Senyo so if they, is. If they're,
1: if they're Khmer Krom, are they now southeast? Are they in yeah, the border so, the border region? So, so they're
0: on they're on both borders. They are on the border of South on South Vietnam and the Thai border. So they. But, would so his, his
1: political career has gone from uh, the the northwest up in Siem Reap, and now he's right. on the other side of Cambodia, right? Working with an entirely different crew of allies,
0: right? But yeah, U.S. intelligence or would kind of ferry. Um, Khmer Krom from the South Vietnamese side to the Thai border, uh, and so there were basically outposts on both borders. Oh, least, okay. Okay. Khmer Sarai, so and okay. Son Tan is the titular figurehead of this group or whatever. At the same time, you have this is the CIDG is getting started. CIDG start was it actually CIA created in 1961, kind of morphs and kind of becomes absorbed into MACV in 1963, but from its in in Inception it is CIA. Um, so he is also recruiting Khmer Krom for the CIDG. So you have Khmer Krom working with the CIDG, so working with the US and working with US Special Forces. So Sonyok Tan is involved in that whole procedure. And then the Khmer Sarai are the it's not that they're not affiliated with the CIDG, because I don't know, they kind of are, but they are they are the quote-unquote independent um, <laughs> agitators, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they are most, for the most part, they are agitators towards C-N-O-K. Um They don't have huge numbers, right? They are not yeah, capable I'm of... Curious, to... I'm curious about
1: the numbers. Do you, do you have... Do you right, you no, I mean, you know, at?
0: at its peak, it's a couple thousand or, or a few yeah. thousand, right? At, at the best. Um, they are, you know, they have radio transmitters and so they'll be broadcasting from... Uh, you know, Sienuk must go, blah, 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 you know, attempting to gain popular support for these ideas through these radio transmitters. That's one of the things Kennedy was talking to Hilsman about, because CNUC would incessantly complain about these radio broadcasts and how Mm -hmm. the U.S. could, if it wanted to, do something about them, but they wouldn't. And Kennedy has no idea, you know, why does he keep saying about these broadcasters, radio, you know, he's asking Hilsman about this, and Hillsman's like, well, yeah, you know, there maybe has been kind of some involvement with some of these groups, uh, you know, again, plausible deniability, not getting into much detail. Um,
1: and so, yeah, and that, they was are- a, that was a key strategy in uh, Guatemala in um in overthrowing uh, the Arbenz regime, uh, the, the radio transmissions, and mm-hmm. they, they sort of created the sense that there was a much stronger force An against imminent, the government right. than there really was, right. right?
0: Right. Yeah, they're broadcasting, these are broadcast from the mountains and kind of mostly from the mountains in the Northwest or mm-hmm. the West in Cambodia. Um, yeah, So, so again, he is I think getting closer to the Americans, uh, American special forces, and they are viewed as a pretty valuable force. These Khmer's are trained up really well and become a really good fighting force for special forces fighting in Vietnam. This, I guess gets us into 1965 to 70 era too, but, um, they, they become a really, really significant part of that.
1: Okay. So the. Uh that's going on for several years. And then chapter five is Path to Power. And this looks at the last uh five years uh, of Shinok's rule. What is uh what is uh Sonyak done doing in this era?
0: More of the same. Um more, <laughs> more of the same more more
1: mucky, more, more jungle more,
0: more right, exactly. Yeah, I mean this dude spent I mean just decades, you know, roughing it. Um in and out of roughing it, I should say. Because, you know, when he's in Saigon or working on recruitment, you know, he he's not roughing it. But um it is yeah, he is this kind of lost wandering figure. I mean, at this point, he's about sixty years old. And he's yeah. been at this for a long time. And um it is yeah, so it's more agitating. The U, the US and Cambodia break relations. Well, Cenook breaks relations with the United States in nineteen sixty five. They've broken relations with South Vietnam in nineteen sixty three because South Vietnam is continuing to give support for uh, for Khmer Sarai for for Sun Yochtan. Tan. Um, these cross border raids, um, you know, the US, you know, military would say, oh, maybe we were chasing Viet Cong or something across the border. Uh, bombs mistakenly, in air quotes, mistakenly falling on the wrong side of the border in Cambodia. Uh, all this stuff kind of adds up over a long time to see in a lead into the break of diplomatic relations, which won't be restored till 1969. But Sun Tan, he's still the agitator. He's still working to build up and train these forces. And this kind of culminates in the, you know, coup is a greatly good shorthand for it because it's actually kind of an official ouster. Um, through the National Assembly in 1970 of Nordam Sihanouk. Um, but we'll just call it coup because it pretty much was that. Um, Sihanouk is maybe being in the eyes of conservatives in Cambodia, like Lon Nol, military figures, uh, Sun Yuc Tan. He is being way too cozy to communists, nor uh, Vietnamese communists at least. He's not cozy to communists that are in Cambodia.
1: Right. We, but, we, we, we now know he struck a deal with the Vietnamese communists to let them use uh, Eastern Cambodian territory in exchange yeah. for um, grain shipments or. So, right. Like, so that would be the kind yeah. of
0: coziness that yeah. somebody like Lon Noel would be very much, or Sanyok Tan would be very much against. That's kind of the, the excuse, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. given for, to lead to his ouster in May of 70. And in this chapter in the book, some people have written on this. Um, you know, Chandler does a really nice job. Ken Climber does a really nice job. Others have done it. You know, um, what I wanted to do was kind of gather what new stuff I did have and kind of add those once again to the puzzle piece uh, analogy. Uh, add those puzzle pieces to that pretty decent picture that I think we had of U.S. involvement in this, and I think it's a little bit clear that the U.S probably uh let's say highly probably was involved uh they did not have you know us forces on the ground but us is is probably highly plausibly highly probably advising and behind the scenes giving support to this group and a lot of those uh members that kind of lead this charge are kamir krum or kamir sarai and you know i think there is a lot to be said for the trojan horse theory which is many, many, many Khmer Sarai, quote unquote, surrender to the Sihanouk government um, in the months ahead of time. And they are basically just kind of repurposed into the Lanul's army at that point. Mm, okay, mm. so that, but they are not allegiant to Sihanouk at all. So, mm. yeah, there is, there are some really good, um, man, some really good dives um, looking at, in in the book, kind of getting into the weeds a bit on on you know like the Thornton letter where he describes some of the contacts and, and and discussions with intelligence figures, US intelligence figures, support for the coup, um whatnot. So there there are a lot of there are still a lot of loose ends. This is not a done done deal. Done this story is not fully told. There is more to go and investigate with this story, but my hope is that I kind of added a bit to it and kind of clarified some of it and clarified Sun Tan's role with it. He on the record claims, yeah, CIA was involved. I worked with the CIA. We planned it out together. Um, so that's him saying it. I don't know if I would take what he says at hundred percent face value, but he, there's a lot of other smoke around that fire as well at the same time. So, uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun and, and tough chapter to, to work on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So then um chapter six, um, always an outsider looks at um really his final years as a political player from 1970 to 1972. Um, what's his role in the early years of the Lon Nol regime?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's like, hey, you did it, right? This whole your goal for the past, you know, how many decades has come true. Scenic's gone. Uh you have a a uh, republic go- government you, uh, that uh, that is maybe swayed more toward your political persuasion. Um, what, what are you going to do next? And, y- you know, he's not going to Disney World. He's going to find himself continuing to, Mike, get ready for this, continue recruiting for the U.S. Special Forces, training up those guys. That's what he's doing a lot of in the initial period, you know, 1970, 1971. He is made like I'm forgetting the exact language of the title, but it's essentially an economic head of economic position in the landl government. The economy is not doing well uh, and it is seen as, man, this could be, you know, significant for him politically if he does well and is able to get the economy turned around a bit. Uh, He is so he is on the periphery. He is not kind of a main player in the government. He is still a popular for the most part figure though you know young intellectuals students monks have for decades and he's had their support uh he finally this has to do with a whole lot of different kind of in inner workings within london's cabinet uh and noel's health and all this stuff but he eventually finds himself in march march 20th 1972 prime minister again. Yeah. Cause he, he,
1: cause he had been prime minister in what, 45, 1945,
0: Right. And now in 1972 and now yeah. in 1972. So he is prime minister for the second time. He's also kind of directs foreign affairs. Uh, and so this, this only lasts until the fall. So it's, you know, what, what roughly six months or so in this position. And it is a highly neutered position. He doesn't have a lot of political power as prime minister, but I think from law, Knowles' perspective, Boy, um, we there's a lot of people aren't super thrilled with how things are going, you know, in the civil war with Khmer Rouge. Aren't how well things are going with my government? Sun Yo-Tan, relatively speaking, kind of a popular guy. Uh, he might be able to bridge some of those gaps. So let's bring him into the fold officially, officially. And so he is brought in for that period of time. There is a an assassination attempt is made. Uh, on his life, right in front of the, he's in a car and there are a couple mines kind of strapped with a wire, right, right in front of, of the Royal palace, palace, there street. I've walked many, many times and. Right he, on the, on the river or. on Right, the... right. Correct. Right on yeah, the river. Yeah. That's where his office is. Uh, yeah. is overlooks the river there and. Right
1: there by the, a Cambodiana hotel and that whole. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, right. Yeah. Right. At that kind of. Yeah. 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 Right. It's been 10 years since I've been there, but yeah, really, really nice area today. Um, And two mines are strapped. Only one of them detonates. So I think the damage could have been a lot worse. He may have been killed in this. Three of the bodyguards that were with him in in this vehicle are injured. Uh, A monk on a bike is severely injured, but he is not killed. It's also not clear who that came from. There are, if you want to get into, you know, Rumerville, you know, could have been Lon Nol's brother, Lon Nan, is in Rumorville, maybe involved. But, anyways, yeah, that gets so, so he's kind of sent out to pasture, if you will, in September 1972, and he goes back to South Vietnam. And yeah, so
1: that's, that's, that's your conclusion, right? The, uh, an unglamorous ending he yeah he and it's it he goes he is he
0: he says he's retired um you know and at that point he is you know what 64 so um yeah i guess retirement age maybe even still in france um and uh <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: it's 64 in france now
0: <laughs> is it 64 in france now okay yeah, yeah but, so, but again, so. it
1: it's it's not the years it's the miles i mean this is
0: he had some decades mileage
1: of living in the jungle. And right. I just, just, I was just contemplating this guy's life and it's just astounding. Um, yeah. the, that toll that must've taken on him physically.
0: Right. Well, it his he continues doing what he does, Mike in his last kind of few years there, which is working with the United States special forces and recruiting more guys and training them up. And, you know, he's back and forth a little bit, but for the most part, he's back, in what he considers his home in South Vietnam and, and, and th-
1: those are those spooky years so like if he's if he's going to Saigon in the fall of 72 the United States uh ends the war in January right yeah but the war doesn't end right we've got yeah two more years the United and that's, States ends it's that's when boring. things get really spooky yeah. like in terms of spy craft and all yep. sorts of stuff right so what, yeah yeah he, he's organizing um, Khmer Krom troops in South Vietnam?
0: Yeah, in South Vietnam still, still to fight and uh to go fight in Cambodia. And is it... Against Norm- Khmer Rouge? Yeah.
1: Against, mm-hmm. okay, against Khmer mm-hmm. Rouge.
0: Yeah, the, they, support, support the, the Khmer Null. Sarai, for, you know, the former Khmer Sarai, after they become integrated into Nol's army, they are the best and the brightest. Like they are the best trained best soldiers and they get completely decimated almost immediately um, because they're at the front lines of all this of all the fighting against the Khmer Rouge and after that you know that then then you're working with you know then you get into the whole ghost ghost soldier thing and very very incompetent uh, and and a lot of corruption and everything associated with the the military in Cambodia in in South Vietnam um, Norman Lewis was you uh, He wrote, uh, what is it, The Dragon Apart, is is the name of it? He did some investigative work around this time, uh, meeting with some of these, you know, Khmer Sarai that would get kind of trained up at this specific temple would kind of be the meeting spot. And uh, they they said um, that, uh, oh, and Ho Chi Minh's last will and testament that uh, he said that Son Yeok-tan anybody that worked with him is 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 cool essentially because just like Ho Chi Minh was you know fighting for you know freedom and liberation Son Yeok-tan was doing the same thing and so somehow this is not true but somehow this is a rumor that is spread among a lot of the Khmer Sarai, you know as you're getting this is like toward you know the end like when the writing's on the wall and it so seems like
1: 74
0: some, 74 75 and it's like the writing's yeah. on the wall Saigon's going to fall. They
1: think they've got a Ho Chi Minh get out of, get out of jail free card. They,
0: some of them do think that, correct, yeah, which turns out to not be the case. It's not the case for Sun Yuk Tan himself either. He is imprisoned. Uh, he passes so, so, away. So,
1: so just just to slow, slow you down a bit, so yeah. uh, Saigon falls slash liberated uh, perspective. April 30th, uh, April yeah. 30th, 1975, and uh, now the show's over. So he's been collaborating with American Special Forces, for 15 plus years on both sides of the border. So he's a long time. Yeah. So he's, he, he's definitely on a list, right?
0: Yeah. And he, it doesn't take long. He is taken prisoner. Uh, and he is suffering from diabetes at this point. So his health is not good. He's, you know, a relatively speaking older, older gentleman. Uh, he languishes for about two years in the Chihuahua prison. He passes away on August eighth, nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, a family member that was imprisoned with him uh, there also, you know, worked worked with him. Khmer Sarai uh, said Son Tan refused to collaborate in any way, refused to give any sort of information at all, ref- refused anything uh, for the victorious North Vietnamese and um probably passed away from a combination of hunger strike slash you know the diabetes and other health ills he was suffering at uh at that point nearly 70 years old
1: yeah so what is the significance of his life i mean what 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 does this all mean
0: well that's a good question what does it all mean um (laughs) i i think it means that Nationalism, I think it means a few things, right? I think it helps us better understand kind of nationalist inspirations against the French during that era. So I think that's kind of one sort of section. Uh, I think another thing it helps us better understand is what is the U.S. involvement like in Cambodia? Um, Kent Clymer has a two-volume series on United States relations with Cambodia. So that's an essential place to go for that full big picture story. But if you want to get a little more in the weeds, I think this is a great kind of companion piece to that in that it helps flush out some of that story in, in some more detail, flush out some of that story with, with U.S. intelligence, with, with U.S. special forces, and then their relationship with Sun Yuk-Tan. And kind of what, why is he so involved and so dedicated to this? He's involved, his involvement with South Vietnamese government, his involvement with Thailand, his involvement with Ko Min in Taiwan, he's involved with them too. And he goes there at one point to meet with, to meet with leadership there, to attempt to get support from them. So it is the kind of, that whole relationship of the the more conservative, quote unquote, nationalist uh, ide- ideology that Sun Yuk Tan has. Is, is a good one to flush out in some more detail. And hopefully my book does that as well. So so that's what I hope it contributes to is a little bit of better understanding in, in kind of those two sort of different yet connected elements.
1: Yeah, and, and what I appreciate is um, here's really important political history of Cambodia that intersects at certain moments uh, with the Khmer Rouge, but it's that, that's not the 300-pound gorilla dominating uh, the narrative, right? Like there's, there, yeah. there's these other political movements. Things could have gone a very different way. And, you know, as, right. as many historians like showcross and others have argued, you know, it was, it was the bombing of, in the early 70s that really set on this different track. So getting more complexity, more nuance, more detail in the political history of the 50s and especially the 1960s, I think is really invaluable. Right. Because oftentimes it's very simplistic. Like everything's just leading up to the horrors that start on April 17th, 1975, and then, you know, suddenly end in 1979. Like that's Cambodian history. There's a much, (laughs) much more going on.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I, I, yeah, I appreciate your words on that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a different sort of thing. You know, it's not, it's, Maybe it's been overlooked, and so that's my my hope is to kind of uncover uh, a bit of that. Um, Cambodia as a whole uh, is, I think, overlooked uh, in the history in, in Southeast Asia, and kind of is dwarfed, obviously, by uh, Vietnam, uh, which you know, you know, in terms of you know, historians in the United States have given that tons of you know a lot of really good work and and attention. But this is you know, it's part of that. Same from the U.S. perspective story, and it's not one that has been told in any detail. So, it I think it helps flesh out the story of the war in Vietnam as well.
1: Great, great. So, you've been really generous with your time, but I've got two more questions for you, and these are these are the traditional uh, New Books Network debriefing questions. Uh, okay, we've, we've brought you in from the uh, from the field from the Meck. Okay. Um, uh, can you suggest two books for the audience?
0: Ah, uh, book of the week. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I've already mentioned a couple, so yeah. Let me let me mention Kenton Climber's two-volume series U.S. Cambodia relations. Ah, uh, the the Penny Edwards book, um, which covers basically the French era is for looking at kind of developments of like kind of nationalist thought and everything in Cambodia. That one's kind of yeah. invaluable. Cambodge, uh, K- um,
1: Cambodge cultivation of a nation. I love Cambodge it. Cultivation. I'm also, I'm also a Penny correct. Edwards fan. She's just yeah. awesome.
0: Um, Bill Rust, Eisenhower, and Cambodia is taking a look at, uh, can you guess, Mike? (laughs) Covert operations. (laughs) Eisenhower and Cambodia. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's looking at that roughly eight-year period of time, uh, which will, of course, include um, kind of some covert operations in Cambodia. But uh, that's that's relatively- Radios. Yeah, some radios. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a relatively recent one that's, uh, that's, that's a good, you know, pretty straightforward U S diplomatic history. So let me, add, I'm going to throw that and add that, uh, to the pile if that's all right.
1: All right. Yeah. Yeah. We got a couple. Uh, and then finally, what are you working on now? Um, what can we hope to see from you next?
0: That's a hell of a question, Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I am, uh, 99% of all my efforts go toward, of course, the, uh, podcast Napalm in the morning um so when i'm not working on that um it is it is sticking with us southeast asia it is kind of getting i don't have an an exact topic that i have officially started working on but it is in that realm i am putting feelers out there i have a couple i have a few ideas that i'm kind of sprinkling on a couple people and uh kind of, kind of see where those lead me. And hopefully in the, you know, coming months, something more concrete is, is here and I can, uh, get, get set getting into some heavy research and and writing all the fun stuff.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Hey Matt, thank you so much for chatting with me today.
0: Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate you having me and, uh, Thanks to your listeners for sticking with me through 58 minutes. I appreciate it. (laughs)
1: Okay. So this has been a conversation with Dr. Matthew Yagel about Khmer nationalist, uh, Sun Yok the CIA and the transformation of Cambodia out with Cornell university press in 2023. You can also catch Matt as co-host of napalm in the morning, the Vietnam war through film. I'm Michael van of Sacramento state university. This has been an episode of new books in history, a channel on the new books network.